0: Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck.
1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. We have a guest today from one of my favorite organizations, the Natural Refor- Resources Defense Council, or NRDC. And our guest is Lauren Urbanic, and she is a senior. Energy Policy Advocate with the Energy and Transportation Program for NRDC. She focuses on reducing the energy consumption of homes and businesses through improved energy codes and equipment standards. Um, and so we're going to be talking today about energy efficiency, some steps that we can take as individuals, but we're also going to be talking public policy, as so many of us really enjoy doing. Um, so we're going to be talking about some of the national public policy behind energy efficiency standards and what's going on um, nationally um, on the energy efficiency front. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Lawrence. So glad that you could join us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So just a couple of weeks ago, you posted an article on the NRDC's website that details how everyday people can save money on their energy bills this summer without turning their home into a sauna. So let's talk about some of those tips. You write about ensuring that windows and doors aren't leaky. But for those of us who are sort of uh, home improvement neophytes, how do you do that?
2: Sure. So there's actually some really easy ways that that you can first go about making sure that that your windows and doors aren't leaky. I mean, a lot of the times you'll actually be able to feel around the windows and doors to tell if there's hot air that's that's seeping into your cooler house. But really the the bigger problem is often the cracks that you can't see. So even more so than than your windows and doors which you know may need replacing, but a lot of times cracks in the walls or cracks deep in, your, uh, in a crawl space or something like that, when they are all taken together, it, it is equivalent in, in a lot of homes to having a hole about the size of a basketball in your wall. And wow. that means that of the cooled or heated air in your home is going to then leak out. And a really great way to address this is through an energy audit. And what that is, that is a look at your home by a, a qualified professional it takes a look at not only the windows and the doors, but also the entire envelope, the entire outside of your house, as well as the, the equipment inside, too. Um, so a really great way to, to make sure that, that your home is not wasting energy, and it's, a, it's something that also a lot of utility companies offer incentives for. So starting with an energy audit is always what we recommend.
1: Well, and you know what? I actually had one of those done on my home. My home was built in 1975, and my utility does have an incentive, so it was very inexpensive to do. And I was shocked. Some of the places where they found leaking were around, um, like, the outlets, plugs and stuff in the Mm -hmm. walls. Um, So, even just putting, you know, some little, there are little insulation pieces you can install very simply. I did it myself. Um, Just to plug up those things. We needed more insulation. There were a lot of things like that. But the overall bill to do the energy audit and to you know, plug up some of the holes, um, the, the payback, we, we kind of track this. My husband and I are geeky, um, about data and the payback was less than a year, um, in the savings in our energy bills. And so it was, it was a great thing to do, especially for a house that's, you know, the age of ours. And so I, I, give a big thumbs up to that recommendation. You know, you also advise consumers to look for the Energy Star symbol. And over the past few years, consumers have gotten a little bit weary of, you know, signs, symbols, seals of approval, and, you know, what all of these things mean. But actually, Energy Star is a very credible and meaningful symbol. Talk to us about what it means when an appliance is Energy Star rated. Sure. So,
2: Most people have seen that blue and white Energy Star label when they're looking for an appliance or a piece of equipment. Um, You can even purchase an Energy Star new home, actually. And what that means, that that label means that the product uses about 25% less energy on average than the federal minimum efficiency standard. So the Energy Star label means savings. And Energy Star itself is... It's a voluntary program that that manufacturers choose to participate in. It is administered by the Environmental Protection Agency, but it's really a partnership. It's a partnership between manufacturers and utilities and retailers um, who who all have an interest in making sure that the consumers know how to how to really easily purchase the the most energy efficient products and. It's a really trusted brand also because it is something that, that goes through, these products go through a really rigorous process for, for certification, and it, it has generated huge, huge savings. Um, about, since the program started about 25 years ago, about $430 billion in utility bill savings. So we're talking some really big numbers here just from consumers making better choices through this really easy-to-understand program.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's amazing the, the wide breadth of products that you can buy with the Energy Star symbol. I mean, um, everything from washing machines and, you know, kitchen appliances to computer you know equipment printers all of that it's it's pretty amazing now you also write about the use of ceiling fans and I'm a big fan of ceiling fans um and you even talk about the direction in which they should turn in summer months and then we change it in winter months and I am so embarrassed to admit this Lauren but I never realized that the direction that a ceiling fan spins matters so talk to us about the utility of ceiling fans and which direction for which season please
2: So, yeah, like you said, ceiling fans are are really great. They actually use about 10% of the energy of a central air conditioner, so really a lot less compared to to using your air conditioner, but can make a room feel up to 10 degrees cooler. So on a day when it's not too terribly hot or humid or if you live somewhere where just a breeze will, will help cool you off, starting by using your ceiling fan rather than turning on your air conditioner can, can really make sure that your bills stay low. Um, and you can use them in summer or in winter. So in the summertime, if you're standing directly underneath the fan, the fan should turn counterclockwise. And what that does is that it then pull, pulls the cooler air up from the ground and then blows it back down on you. So you get that breeze and you get cooler air that's being circulated from the bottom of the room. And then in the winter, you can then reverse the fan, so have it spin clockwise and put it on low, which then pushes the warm air that rises to the ceiling, pushes it back down to you. So it's really something that can be used all year round to keep you comfortable and at a really low cost, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. And I think I'm looking at the ceiling fan in my office right now. It's going the wrong way. So I'm going to fix that <laughs> right after the show. <laughs> your article also mentions um, the importance of window coverings and putting those to work. And you talk about programmable thermostats. Make us smart about those two tips, Lauren.
2: So window coverings, really a no-brainer. But closing your drapes during the, the hottest part of the day or closing your curtains particularly if your house gets a lot of sun or if you have older windows that, that the heat can leak through, then that is something that can, can keep your house more comfortable just by keeping it shady. I mean, it's equivalent to sitting under a tree or something like that on a hot day. And then programmable thermostats, they are a really great product that makes sure, make sure that you're, you're not wasting energy to cool or to heat, actually, a, an empty house if you're not there to enjoy it. So the idea is that you set the temperature and then you can just go about your business and it'll save you money. Um, you set it to to be consistent with your schedule, to, to correlate with the times that you're there, the house will be more comfortable. And then when you're not there, it doesn't need to be running.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, one of the Most effective window coverings, and I say that in air quotes, you can't see me doing it, but I'm doing it, that we did, um, we get a lot of western sun in the front of our house, I wish we faced the south, because that's the best way, but it faces the west, and so we get the hot afternoon setting sun, we planted a tree so that it would shade our front windows. And that's been hugely effective. So also think about that when you guys are, you know, thinking about the way that the sun comes into your home. Sometimes it's the outside vegetation that can be helpful as well. Now, speaking of the programmable thermostats and keeping, you know, your house at, at, the right temperature at the right time there is a myth out there that it's more efficient to keep your air conditioner on a low setting while you're away all day than turning it off or turning the temperature up while you're gone and then letting it cycle for a longer time to cool your house when you get home but talk to us about the truth of the matter what is the best method for saving energy um, you know when you're gone what should you be doing with your thermostat
2: well to put it plainly, the, the very cheapest way to use your air conditioner is to turn the thermostat up when you're not home so that you are not cooling a house that you're not in. And there, that, that myth, it, does, it, it makes a little bit of sense that, you know, yes, your air conditioner would have to work a little bit harder if, if the, the home is, is warmer. But it really goes back to physics, actually. And heat always flows from a hotter environment, so the outside, to a cooler environment, your home. And like we were talking about earlier, so many homes have cracks and and leaks or inefficient windows where the heat is going to get into your home in one way or another. So the larger the temperature difference between the inside of your home and the outside, the more hot air comes in from inside. So that means that your air conditioner then has to kick on multiple times throughout the day just in order to maintain that cooler temperature, even though you're not there to, to actually benefit from it. And it's true, your air conditioner will need to come on a little bit sooner and run a little longer to cool your home before you return if, if you set the, the temperature up a few degrees. But that's really not a problem if you have a programmable thermostat. So programmable thermostat, you can say you want it to be a certain temperature at a certain time, and then it does the work from there. So the other point, too, is that air conditioners actually operate most efficiently when they run at a full speed for a longer period of time rather than cycling on and off throughout the day. So keeping, it, keeping your, your house a little bit warmer during the day means that, one, you're going to get less in terms of, of air warm air coming in. You're not going to be wasting energy while you're not there. And then when it does come back to cool, it'll be doing it in the most efficient way possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, just kind of a quick follow-up on that. You know, when we come home from work, a lot of times those are peak hours for energy load. Um, you know, that's when everybody's starting dinner and maybe washing some laundry. And if your air conditioning is also, you know, really going full bore at that time, how might that impact, you know, the, the overall grid and energy load during those peak hours?
2: yeah for sure. So that's a you raise a really good point there that one of the the real benefits of of energy efficiency is that it also does help with this this issue of so much demand on the grid. So that really underscores the importance of having your house be not leaky, um, having an energy audit, and using efficient equipment using the the energy star equipment that we were talking about. Because all of those things, if, if when everyone does that and, and demand across the electricity grid is reduced, it means that utilities don't have to turn on the dirtiest power plants to meet that extra demand on the very hottest days. And that means that there's lots of benefits in terms of less pollution that's emitted um, and also in terms of price. The, the dirtiest power plants tend to be the most expensive, and those costs get passed along to consumers on their bills so
3: mm-hmm.
2: efficiency is important not just for a, a comfort and a, and a bill perspective but really for the utilities and, and the entire power grid too
1: makes perfect sense we're going to take a quick commercial break but there's so much more to talk about so don't go away folks there's more go green radio right after this Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Lauren Urbanic, and she is a senior energy policy advocate with the Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC, um, as we all know them now. Lauren, we were talking about energy efficiency and some of the great tips that you have for folks to be more energy efficient this summer. Your article also recommends that consumers check with their utility company for energy efficiency programs and resources. Talk to us about some of the assistance that we might expect from our utility companies.
2: Well, depending on where you live, you might be able to benefit from rebates from, for energy efficiency upgrades. So this can range from anything from cash for buying a new efficient appliance, a new refrigerator, or dishwasher, um, or piece of equipment, your heating system, air conditioning, um, also turning in old appliances, the old fridge that you have in your basement, as well as discounted energy audits, which we talked a little bit about earlier, um, or discounts on lighting that can be found actually right at the, right at the store itself. And this, like I said, does depend on on individual utility companies depending on where you live, which is why it's important to to check with your company directly. But local governments also do tend to run these types of programs in some cases, so that's another really good resource. And the the other really great resource is the Energy Star website, um, energystar.gov. And if you actually go there and click on rebate finder, that's a really good way. You just type in your zip code, and it'll pull up um, some of the the rebates that might be available for you.
1: That's awesome. And I know, you know, I'm out in the Bay Area of California. Pacific Gas and Electric is my utility, and they have all kinds of of resources. And just recently, they've even started to pay people for you know space on their roof to put up solar panels because they're so. Anxious to get um, as much renewable energy in their portfolio as possible, so they're you just never know. And what was available two years ago might be entirely different than what it is today. I mean, energy companies are um, are stepping up their game in this regard. So, but the thing is, that's funny. You know, I mean, when you think about energy companies, the way. A business runs. It seems counterintuitive that they would actually want to help customers buy less of their product. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that just seems to go against their business interest, and yet they are. So, talk to us about the work that NRDC has done to help incentivize utility companies to get actively engaged in energy efficiency.
2: So we get that question a lot, actually, because it is counterintuitive. Uh, utility is supposed to sell you energy, not help you use less, but. Over the past number of years, states and, and other jurisdictions have put in place really progressive policies that recognize that the benefits of, of energy efficiency are, are really big and are, are really good for the people who, who live in those states. So we've, we've worked really closely with those states and with utilities to actually remove the barriers to efficiency, one of which is that utilities sell energy. And so one really successful policy is called decoupling. And, you know, not to get too terribly wonky, but it means that a utility's profits aren't dependent on how much energy they sell, but rather on how good of a job they do delivering that energy and serving their customers and in some cases meeting energy efficiency goals that have been specified for them. So there are lots and lots of states that have really – pretty substantial goals of of how energy efficient utilities have to be. And that then means that utilities then do actually have an incentive to offer rebates or or other incentives to their customers to reduce this this energy consumption, but then it doesn't hurt the utility's bottom line. So Mm -hmm. putting in place these types of policies helps to remove the barriers for efficiency, which is really good for customers and it's good for utilities, too.
1: It is. I mean, I know that, you know, in reading some of the things that you have written and that the NRDC has written about this issue, I mean, it's actually saved utility companies from having to build new power plants, which is extremely costly. Talk to us just a little bit about that upside.
2: It, it sure does. I mean, we were talking a little bit earlier about how efficiency reduces the, the demand on the electricity grid, and that means that... One, you don't have to turn on the the dirtiest power plants, and two, you don't need to build new power plants because so much of your demand is being met by better efficiency. And also another really great benefit of efficiency that's great for the utilities is when demand is reduced, there's a lower risk of blackouts and brownouts, and there's more reliability. And that's another thing that utilities care very, very 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 much about because a lot of times they're they're judged on their reliability so using efficiency really as a as a resource to help meet all of these different needs um utilities recognize the benefit of that which is great
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now I want to take a quick step back and talk about the environmental benefits. We are Go Green Radio after all. Um, There are human health benefits and all kinds of other environmental benefits to energy efficiency. For the average American consumer, Lauren, why should energy efficiency be a concern?
2: Well, energy bills, I mean, anyone can tell you, they make up a significant portion of a family's monthly budget. I mean, it can be hundreds of dollars a month in, in just energy costs, and that's that's significant. And really, if your income is lower, it's also likely that you're spending a bigger percentage of it on energy costs. So what energy efficiency does, it's a, a really inexpensive way, like we've been talking about, to keep costs under control, but still be comfortable in your home. So you have both the cost savings, but you're not sacrificing the comfort side of things. And, you know, from an environmental perspective, it is really, I don't think it's overstating to say that energy efficiency, it's its just crucial to the, the future of the whole planet. I mean, we are talking about global population growth, and resources aren't coming out of nowhere, so our resources are going to become more scarce, and We need to use them more carefully than ever, and efficiency really helps to to do that. And it does it while maintaining good economic value also. Um, U.S. energy consumption today is about the same as it was in the year 2000, so 17 years ago. But the GDP of the U.S. in that time has grown by about 30%. So you don't have to have a, a lower economic growth and, and also choose to, to be green. You can do both.
1: Right. And until such a time as we get all of our energy from clean, renewable energy, I mean, every kilowatt hour that we use, um, you know, is is in some way attached to fossil fuels. And even though, you know, I know, gosh, when I first started Go Green Radio nine years ago, uh probably over 50% of America's electricity came from coal. Um, And of course, we all know about the emissions, not just the carbon emissions, but the particulate matter and the heavy metals that can come from burning coal. Um, And even though it's now down to about 30%, there's still coal, and, and much of the replacement fuel has been natural gas, which is cleaner but not clean. It's cleaner by about one third of the emissions of coal. So until you know all of our energy comes from you know non-polluting carbon free sources, um, anytime we're saving energy, of course we're saving money, but we're also saving our air, which has a direct you know benefit to human health, of course. Now, uh, Lauren, in your article that you wrote back in April, you, you write that in 2016, the Department of Energy issued six standards, um, which are projected to save households and businesses up to $23 billion over 30 years, but the Trump administration has blocked them from taking effect. And I'd love for you to talk to us about each of these six energy efficiency standards that you were talking about in that article.
2: Sure. So backing up for a minute many people actually don't realize that the the federal government works with manufacturers and industry groups and groups like NRDC to set minimum standards for most of the products in your home that use energy. So anything from a refrigerator to a dishwasher to commercial equipment, um, they, it has to meet a certain standard. It can't use more than a certain amount of energy. So... In doing so, these these standards they've saved about two trillion dollars in energy bill savings, and that's since the program took effect under the the Reagan administration. Works out to about a savings of about five hundred dollars per household in, in bill savings every year. So that program is is has been very effective. It's a, a very quiet saver of energy, um, but but incredibly incredibly effective, and. Standards are set through a rigorous process that gets lots of input from all of these different groups, manufacturers, national labs, NRDC, others. And these standards are also required by law to be cost effective, so saving consumers more in energy than they would cost. But a number of the, the standards that were finalized at the end of the Obama administration have been delayed by the Trump administration. Um, good news on one of them, we expect to see one, one of them, uh, for ceiling fans expect to see that move forward, but there's still five additional standards that are in limbo. Um, they're, they're done, but they are not, they haven't moved anywhere. And like you said, taken together, the, the six standards generate $23 billion in savings for customers. So, in addition to ceiling fans, we're talking about portable air conditioners, which um, are, are used in a number of, of places where central air conditioners or window air conditioners are, are not able to be used. Um, and then also the, the other equipment is largely commercial equipment, um, walk-in coolers and freezers, which are found in many restaurants, um, commercial boilers used to, to heat a lot of commercial space, air compressors, which are the, you know, if you've ever used one to fill up a tire at a gas station, that's an air compressor, um, and also uninterruptible power supplies, which are used in data centers, so use a, a lot of energy and haven't had a standard set. So, this type of equipment, not as familiar to a, a homeowner as a refrigerator or a dishwasher, sure. but really important when you're talking about commercial and industrial settings.
1: Yep. And we know, you know, anybody who's been out on the Energy Information Agency, you know, or administration website, eia.gov, you can find charts and graphs that show how much of our energy use is, um, is contributable to commercial versus residential etc and you know commercial energy use is huge it's a big part of our nation's energy portfolio we're going to take a quick commercial break but there's so much more so don't go away folks there's more go green radio right after this
0: your world for more information about covanta energy visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com
3: do the adventures of indiana jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession if so don't miss indiana jones myth reality and 21st century archaeology with dr joseph schuldenrein
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And I'd just like to send out a reminder to everybody that Go Green Radio is just one... Part of a much bigger organization, the Go Green Initiative is a nonprofit that I started back in 2002. We work with schools in all 50 U.S. states and in 73 countries around the world, and we help them do two things: first of all, conserve natural resources for future generations, and secondly, to protect kids' health from environmental pollutants. And so, if you'd like to check out our website, get involved. We'd love to have you part of the organization, part of the conversation. Go to www gogreeninitiative.org. And uh, we'd love to have you involved in any way you see fit. Now, our guest today, in case you're just tuning in, is Lauren Urbanik. And she's a senior energy policy advocate with the Natural Re- Resources Defense Council in RDC. And we've been talking about energy efficiency, both from the consumer side, but also on the public policy side. So, Lauren, what is the Trump administration's rationale for blocking or uh, slowing down the progress of these energy efficiency standards that we were talking about in the last segment?
2: Well, the administration simply just hasn't taken the actions that they're required to take by law. And the standards that we were talking about that are in limbo, they're, they're done for all intents and purposes. They've been thoroughly reviewed already by the Department of Energy. And, there's an obligation now for them to be published in the Federal Register, which is the the next step that the Trump administration needs to have happen so that the standards can actually take effect. And so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that they're trying to slow these down because there's there's really not that much that they are able to do um, in order to, to change them at this point. And furthermore, I mean, energy efficiency is an area that has really historically had strong bipartisan support so the standards program was signed into law by president reagan and then it was reaffirmed again by president george w bush and then president obama continued the legacy by making strong progress so it's it's not something that has really been a a bipartisan or a, a partisan issue mm-hmm. and really even more troubling than than even just slowing down these standards is the proposed budget cuts in the the president's budget they include a 79% cut to energy efficiency programs at the Department of Energy which would touch the the efficiency standards program it uh, would touch a lot of programs that that benefit states um, low income families and and then the uh, the energy star program at the the environmental protection agency they're proposing to completely zero out that program. So we were talking before about how well that program works, how easy it is for customers to use and understand, and the budget would just completely kill the program, which is, is really just mystifying.
1: It is. And, and has any explanation been given, or is it just, you know, we've got to make cuts and here you go? I mean, is there any, has there been any negative implication about the you know the the program itself or is it just a victim of budget slashing it seems
2: to be really just a victim of of budget slashing talking about energy star there was a letter that that went to congress recently that was signed by 1100 businesses from all different you know any every state huge businesses down to small businesses in support of the energy star program and the program, the Energy Star program, costs about $50 million a year or so to run, which $50 million sounds like a lot of money, but it also, one, is a, a drop in the bucket compared to the, the whole federal government spending, and mm-hmm. two, it produces $30 billion every year in customer savings. So we're talking about a $50 million investment for a $30 billion with a B return, which any CEO would be overjoyed with that kind of return. Yeah. On
1: investment. That's an ROI to be coveted. That's for sure. Now, I know that NRDC is not sitting on the sidelines watching this happen. What action have you all taken as a result of what's going on? And talk to us about some of the other organizations that are involved, because you guys, if I know anything about NRDC, you're collaborators, you get people on board. Talk to us about what's happening in that area.
2: Well, at a high level, we're working really, really hard to defend the the great work that has happened. So, that's a lot of work on the the congressional level. We have folks that are really, really engaged on making sure that that legislators know the the benefits of these programs and what it would mean if if they're cut. And then talking specifically about some of the individual standards that we were discussing. So, the ceiling fan standard we were talking about earlier, um, we filed a lawsuit on that actually at the end of March and our, our argument was that the doE was um, delaying that unnecessarily and the doE actually indicated just last week that, that the ceiling fan standard will move forward um, so that's really great news so we actually the the lawsuit you know whether it's a one-to-one uh, cause and effect there not sure but it's it's really great news that that it'll move forward because 80 million households use ceiling fans. So it's a big impact, and and we're certainly going to be making sure that it continues to move forward. Um, Mm -hmm. Then for the the five other rules we were discussing, we have put DOE on notice for those rules that if they don't act to, to actually publish those rules that we will file a lawsuit. And the clock's still ticking there, but we haven't seen anything yet from DOE indicating that they're, they're planning to, to do so, so to be determined, but we are very much watching these, these closely. Um, and to your question about other organizations, we have been working with a coalition of 10 different states, so states from New York, California, Pennsylvania, Illinois, a number of others, as well as uh, consumer groups, the Sierra Club, so really a very broad range of, of groups that recognize that these are are really great things and manufacturers are involved too um, and know the benefits of of these standards.
1: Well, and you bring up manufacturers, that's really important because it's not as though they're being dragged kicking and screaming towards energy efficiency standards. You know, when these delays happen, it, it has a negative impact on product manufacturers. Talk to us about that.
2: Yeah, manufacturers are a, a great partner in, in the standards program, and delays like this create unnecessary uncertainty for them. So, like I said, for all intents and purposes, these standards that we're talking about are, are done. Um, manufacturers participated in the process of actually developing these standards, and they made their voices heard through comments and in some, time, some cases um, these were developed through negotiations directly with manufacturers. So they have a stake in this. They've invested time into making sure that these standards will work for them um, and will ultimately be good for their industry by providing certainty. you know, you know Manufacturers will know what the standard is going to be for the next number of years. And that's a, that's a big deal for businesses. They like certainty.
1: Absolutely. But, well, when you're manufacturing, you know, let's say – a refrigerator, there are hundreds of parts and pieces involved in that, that you subcontract, that you, you know, have um, contract manufacturers that you're dealing with molds and other machinery that's involved in making these things. And if you're going to be changing any of those parts and pieces in order to be more energy efficient, then you've got to start engineering those changes and working Mm -hmm. with your contract manufacturers. And I'm sure that there's a, a little piece of, you know, the innovation, uh, Component that could be lost. I mean, if American manufacturers fall behind the rest of the world in, you know, becoming more energy efficiency, that's that's lost revenue right there, just because they're losing their edge in terms of innovation. Is correct? I, I would think.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the other thing about these delays, manufacturers don't have to comply with these standards for a number of years, but at the same time, like you're saying, it, it takes time. To re engineer and, and to remanufacture the products to comply. And the longer there's this uncertainty, the, the less time manufacturers could have to get that process started. And that cuts them into their, their profit margins. So they generally are, are on board with these things now and want to get started as soon as possible. But they're not going to do that without a clear signal that, that these will move forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, let's say that the federal government continues to drag its feet. But much like what we're seeing with the Paris Accord, and we could go on for days on that, state by state, city by city, there's commitments from, you know, there are commitments from uh, public policymakers at various levels to say, you know, we're going to move forward. But if we start having state by state standards, region by region standards, how might that be problematic when compared to having national energy efficient standards?
2: Well, back before there was a national standards program, so in the 70s and 80s, states could set their own standards, and they did. And they still can set standards for certain products. So California is a a great example. There are lots of products in California where California has a standard, but there's not yet a national standard. But the thing is that manufacturers like having a national standard because it provides consistency. So you can imagine how costly and complicated it would be for a manufacturer to comply with 50 different standards for 50 different states. And once there's a national standard for a product, states are, are then no longer allowed by law to have their own state-level standard. So it really makes this this one complete overarching standard rather than a, than a patchwork. Um, so states definitely can, can still lead on certain products where there's not a national standard but at the same time, for products where a national standard exists, making sure that that standard is as strong as possible and as cost-effective for consumers as possible is just the right thing to do, and it's just a, a sensible thing to do, too.
1: Well, and, and I remember reading something on the NRDC website, and maybe you can help us you know, get a little bit closer to the truth here, but... Um, I remember reading something about the fact that if there are national energy efficiency standards, that means that you know appliances can't be imported that don't meet those standards. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. And that is a, a huge benefit of a national standard is that it doesn't matter where you buy the standard or buy, I'm sorry, buy the product um, mm-hmm. or where it comes from. It has to meet that federal standard. So this means yeah. that. Any company who is doing business in the U.S. would would have to meet this, and that means that it's it's not like manufacturers who are doing the right thing are going to be undercut by some kind of cheap foreign or or domestic uh, product that you know the manufacturer doesn't want to comply with the standard, um, and then it looks cheaper for the consumer, but there's this hidden cost of energy, so. Right. Having a federal standard make sure that the quality is up for everyone.
1: Right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there's much more. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%?
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And just in case you've only just joined us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Lauren Urbanek, and she is a senior energy policy advocate for the Natural Resources Defense Council, or NRDC. Now, we've been talking about the delay on the part of the federal government to implement energy efficiency standards and there's actually a negative impact to low-income Americans associated with this delay, and I think a lot of people might not realize that. Lauren, talk to us about that issue.
2: Yeah, so on average, low-income households spend about triple of their income, triple what higher-income households do on utility bills in terms of a percent of their income. So that's a pretty big difference. And low-income households often you know, people tend to live in older or leakier houses with, with inefficient appliances and equipment. And the great thing about standards is that they ensure when the, the old equipment is replaced that the newer equipment meets some kind of minimum level efficiency, which saves money, saves energy, helps to, to make that, that difference um, between the, the lower and, and higher income households' energy bills less. And that's also especially important for renters. Um, Renters are statistically more likely to have lower incomes and also just generally don't have control over which appliances are in their homes. Um, Landlords don't pay energy bills most of the time, so there's not really an incentive to invest in anything other than the, the least efficient or the least expensive equipment. But standards mean that no matter which product, is selected for a home, it's it's not going to be an energy hog. And standards cover about ninety percent of the the energy using products in a home. So it, it really adds this layer of of protection for folks who may not be able to to make those choices um, just simply because they're they're renters.
1: Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, it goes back to what we were talking about in the first segment about having your home um, audited for energy. A lot of people who are renting or who live in multiple family dwellings, they're unable to do that. I mean, that's something that's under the purview of their landlord. And yet, as you mentioned, the, the renters or the leasers are going to be the ones paying for the energy bills. I, I even find that in my office. I mean, I have no control over climate, no control over the windows or the insulation. Um, and so, you know, that's something that I am really, really at the mercy of my landlord on in terms of the energy bill. Um in speaking about promoting energy efficiency in buildings, I know that NRDC has done quite a bit of that, and I'd love for you to talk to us about the work that you do to promote energy efficiency in buildings and some of the accomplishments of which you're most proud.
2: Well, tying into your last question, one of the the really great programs that NRDC runs more broadly, it's called Energy Efficiency for All, and that is a program that, that tries to overcome this barrier that you're talking about in multifamily buildings, so apartment complexes and things like that. How do we make those, how do we help make those more efficient so that the people who live there can also benefit from efficiency? So that's that's a really great program that we're working, again, with lots of housing partnerships and, and lots of cities and states um, to, to make that happen. Um, And one of our fundamental jobs right now at a a broad NRDC level is to maintain the great progress that we've been making on energy efficiency over the past couple decades. Um, We were talking a bit earlier about the the risks in the the federal budget that energy efficiency may be cut. And we work in every facet of energy efficiency, and the federal budget has a huge impact on that. So we want to make sure that these programs that benefit millions and millions of Americans continue to have those benefits. And this is everything from helping to develop better building energy codes, um, working with utilities to offer robust energy efficiency programs, and also working directly with with cities. Um, There's the City City Energy Project, a really great initiative that, that we work with cities to help promote energy efficient policies there and and save energy in, in their buildings. Um, and it's a really great initiative that, that has had a lot of success on the ground level too.
1: Mm-hmm. And we also and you know, Oh, go right ahead. I'm sorry, go right ahead.
2: Oh I was gonna say um, one of the one of the particular successes that we've had is collaborating with manufacturers on standards and, and with industry groups. And the the standards program we are talking a lot about the, the savings. We've, we've worked with them very closely on some of the, the largest standards ever, um, a, a standard for uh, rooftop air conditioners found on big, big box stores and commercial buildings. That standard alone is going to save as much energy over the next 30 years as all of the coal that's burned annually in the U.S. So wow. we're talking about really big savings here.
1: That is really big. And, you know, I I have to put in a plug for my uh, sector uh, of passion, and that's the school sector, because, you know, naturally, whatever schools pay for their utility bills um, and their energy bills is part of their general fund, which is the same fund where teachers are paid. Book, textbooks are purchased, computers are purchased, you know, a science labs, all of those great things that go into education. And so, you know, that's a, a really big line item in most school budgets. And so, I'd love, you know, to, to learn about what you guys might be doing to include schools in, you know, the energy efficiency for all. Maybe that's another conversation for another day. But, you know, that's a sector where every penny that we save in energy costs goes to educating our, our next generation. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm really proud of the work that you guys are doing. And, you know, Lauren, a lot of our listeners are actually college students, and I'm pretty sure they're sitting there listening to us thinking, she has a really cool green job. <laughs> and I would love for you to spend a minute just talking about your educational background and the path that you took to get from where they are currently, as, a, as college students, to where you are now doing this important and amazing work for NRDC.
2: I was interested in the environment from a really young age. I remember a project that I did on landfills in fourth grade and just had some really great teachers who were very interested and very engaged, and and that really helped. And so I studied civil and environmental engineering when I was in college, um, but then kind of decided that I wanted to do something that was maybe more advocacy-related, able to, to really do something to help change people's minds, and I had an internship with an energy-related nonprofit when I was in, in grad school, and I was doing uh, city and regional planning work, and that really helped to just kickstart my, my interest in the, the energy sector because it, it is this, this bridge between so many different areas of, of policy and, and technical work, um, and if you're interested in the environment, I've, I really found that there's lots of ways to get involved in this field. I mean, I work every day with lawyers and with engineers, with public policy or government affairs people, um, also with English majors. I mean, one of the (laughs) the most important things that we do is communicate and and let people know what's going on and and how important it is for them to get involved and stay involved. So I don't think there's any one path um, if, if this is something that you're interested in.
1: I think you're very right. And actually, you're talking to an English major right now. So <laughs> See how it all comes together. I, I'm so proud of what you're accomplishing, what your organization is accomplishing. And I know that you've been an inspiration to our listeners today. We have about 30 seconds left. Can you give us a, a tip or two of something that we can do, concrete action we can take right now um, to get involved with energy efficiency?
2: Well, I think that the most important thing right now is to contact your Congresspeople and let them know that energy efficiency is something that's important. It's important to the future of our country, and it should absolutely not be cut out of the the budget. I mean, that's a
1: well said,
2: shorter term yep. thing, um, but but absolutely crucial. And consider an energy audit to do your part in your own house and look for that Energy Star label whenever you're shopping for appliances.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lauren. Really appreciate having you on the show. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have an awesome week and do something in your life to go green.